Men, if you call every man your home for getting in, getting healthy, getting strong, and getting going, then we have a special ask for you. We need men like you to stand in the gap with us as we take back territory for God's kingdom with our new giving campaign. We're calling it the 12 for 12 giving campaign. And all it takes is $12 a month for 12 months. Now your commitment and donation will help us reach our 20 city goal with our Dangerous Good Conference in 2021. And we can't do this without your support. Now, if you haven't noticed, every man is on the move and we've been able to build an army of strong men that are choosing Jesus over the world. You know why? That's because of people like you that help our ministry thrive, especially in these difficult times. So will you join us and commit to donating $12 for 12 months? Every dollar equals change, not only in the men, but also change for the women, children, and communities connected to these men. Thank you in advance for your support and God bless. Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, you're going to want to open it to Genesis chapter 39. We're in part three of a series called Resolve. And all we're doing in this series is we're just acknowledging that when you are waiting on God, timing is everything. Wouldn't you agree with that? But sometimes my timing isn't God's timing. And sometimes your timing isn't God's timing. Amen? You see, when things happen is as important as that they happen. And in between, when we have to wait, in that in-between time, God is at work. So some of you listening right now, you're in what we call the hurt locker. You're in a time of pain or you're in a time of unknowing. And guess what? You want to speed things up. You want the next chapter to start. Some of you are not in the hurt locker. Some of you are kind of riding the wave of abundance and joy or success or peace and calm. And you're like, man, I want that just to keep going. But whether you are in the pit, as we've been calling it, or the peak, the goal, because we know that it's not a forever thing, either the peak or the pit, we want to be seeking God. We want to be waiting on God well. We want to be obeying God, walking with him, uh, as the Bible says. And we want to resolve to do that no matter where we are, because we are not uh, identified by our circumstances. We're identified by our faith in God. So today we're going to look at the life of the next man of God who experienced those extremes of up and down and up and down, and then study his in-between times to see how he trusted and walked with God. And his name is Joseph. And so we're going to see in Joseph's life how God's providence and how God's goodness was with him when he was in the valley and when he was on the mountaintop. And we're really going to see a guy who waited well. So as we have done in parts one and two, here's the flow of today's session. We're going to get God's mind on waiting. We just want his mind on this thing that we call resolving to wait well from the Bible. And then we're going to kind of identify and highlight another core aspect of what it looks like just to wait well in between transitions of life and as life unfolds as a man of God. Then we're going to observe the man of God, Joseph, and study his life and observe him and then see what he models and then apply it to our lives right now. 
So last week, one of the core aspects of waiting well for the next transition in your life uh, to happen was that it involved drawing close to God as life unfolds. And that is what is communicated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. We're going to read that right now. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I just want you to notice the language. Always, never, in all circumstances. So you can be at the peak or you can be in a pit, but this type of lifestyle is always supposed to be going on. Why? Because God's at work in both places, right? Abundance is not an event and despair is not an event. Life is full of abundance and despair. So if God's at work in both places, we got to always be joyful because God is at work. We can have joy. Never stop praying and connecting with God because he's at work. And we can, in faith, be thankful in all circumstances. We don't have to feel thankful, but we can be thankful because we know God is with us and it is at work. And then the Bible says, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So let's unpack uh, what waiting is, all right? Number one, waiting is proactive, biblically, all right? When God sees a man waiting well, he's proactive, right? He's, he's praying, he's obeying, he's seeking, he's thankful, he's worshiping while he is waiting for God to use him right where he is right now, and transition him to the next event or chapter in his life. Second, waiting is purpose-filled, right? So waiting in a traditional sense is just kind of like, okay, I'm waiting for something to happen. Not as a man of God. No, there's purpose in your wait. So there's something either you're waiting to have happen or waiting for something to transition. And until that transition comes... All right? There's a lot of purpose in the in-between time before God transitions you to the next destination. All right? Third, waiting is a faith process. God's involved whether you're in the pit or whether you're in the peak. He's with you all the time. And we're usually wanting to uh, get out of the valley or maintain the peak. But things are going to change. And there is a faith process where we're going, God, I trust you here, and I trust you here, because as we've talked about, success can be just as challenging to a man as trial and tribulation. Number four, waiting is a spiritual discipline for God's man, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We are exhorted as men of God to wait for the Lord in a proactive, purpose-filled, and faith-filled way. So let's kind of make another uh, make another definition, uh, another aspect of waiting well. Write this down. Waiting well is wanting God's will and readying myself to experience it. Did you hear that? Waiting well involves wanting God's will and readying myself to experience it, whether I'm in a difficulty or in pain or in the cloud of unknowing or whether I'm riding the wave of success, what's consistent in me in both places is that I'm wanting God's will 
and I'm readying myself to experience it. So question, do you want God's will? Well, if you do want God's will, you're going to be a man of God who waits well on the Lord. Resolve to want God's will. Second question is, are you readying yourself to experience God's will? If you're readying yourself, if you're ready for what God is going to bring into your life, um, then you're waiting well on God. But you got to resolve to want God's will and to ready yourself to experience it. That sentiment is expressed in Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6. We're going to put that on the screen. It says this, I pray to God, my life a prayer, and wait for what he'll say and do. My life's on the line before God, my Lord, waiting and watching till morning, waiting and watching till morning. Do you get that sense in the man of God, the psalmist in Psalm 130, that he wants God's will and he's readying himself to experience it? My life is a prayer. You see, that's a proactive, purpose-filled, uh, faith-filled thing. My whole life, right? And then he says, I'm going to wait for what he'll say and do. And that's where we have to resolve as men of God to wait for what God says, wait for what God wants to do and not run ahead of God, not stay behind God, but keep in step with God while we wait. All right. So there's God's mind. All right. There's another core aspect of waiting well, which is wanting God's will and getting ready to experience it. Now we need to look and observe Joseph, the man of God, uh, who went from a hope-filled dream to the dungeon, back to the dream, and we're going to look at that in-between time where he was waiting and waiting really well. All right, just to give you some, some context before we get started, and we're going to bring you up to when his waiting period started, but... Joseph was uh, one of many brothers. He is the son of Jacob, right? Who is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. So when you see in the Bible, uh, God referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph belonged to a family with a spiritual heritage. So God is in operation and very much a part of Joseph's family. But Joseph, as a young man, he he has a dream, and uh, he, in the dream, uh, his family is bowing down to him. And uh, this really didn't go well with his older brothers, as you might imagine. You know, the little guy telling the brothers, hey, uh, I had this dream, and in this dream, like, you were bowing down uh, to me. And um, the other added, mm, you know, thing about it is, is that the whole family knew that Joseph was his dad's favorite. Have you ever heard the term favorite son? Well, in this clan of young men, um, Joseph definitely was the favorite son. So when you add being his dad's favorite and him having a dream that talks about how his older brothers were going to be bowing down to him, uh, you could sense in the story that there might just be a little bit of resentment toward Joseph. Now, that resentment came out when Jacob sent Joseph to find his brothers who were tending the flocks. 
And because they were alone and Joseph was traveling alone, when his brother saw him, they said, you know what? This is our shot. Let's get, let's get rid of this guy. All right. And so what they do is they plan on killing him, but thank God for his brother Zebulun, who says, no, let's just, just throw him in a pit. Let's throw him in a cistern and not shed blood. So Joseph unwittingly walks into this little planned ambush by his older brothers, and he gets put into uh, a cistern, which is a huge container, right? And uh, it's nighttime. They've, they've, they've grabbed him. They've thrown him in the, the cistern, and uh, they're all having dinner. And then they see off in the distance this kind of this caravan, of people, of Midianites that are, are on their way to Egypt, and they're like, hey, let's sell this kid into slavery, all right? So for 20 shekels, all right, they sell their younger brother into slavery with a caravan of Midianites, all right? Now, we are going to pick up the story, and let's look at the first thing that Joseph models for us as now he moves from his family into a waiting period for God to deliver him from slavery. Number one, he practiced God's presence. Write that down. He practiced God's presence. All right? We pick up the, the story uh, in Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 4. Now remember, he just got sold into slavery to a bunch of Midianites. The Bible says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, right, by the Midianites. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care, listen, everything he owned, right? So Joseph is sold to Ishmaelites and Midianites. They get to Egypt. There's a slave auction. Potiphar, who is an official in Pharaoh's court, buys Joseph, takes him into his house, and the key words here is, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, you know, Joseph found favor in his eyes. You see, the Lord can't be seen in a man unless that man wants to be seen waiting on the Lord and loving the Lord and walking with the Lord, you know? God can't be seen in a man unless a man is is wanting God's will in his life, right? And that's what Potiphar sees. He sees this man, right? And Potiphar's a, a polytheist, right? They they lead, they believe in so many different things and so many different gods. And and then he sees this guy who's a Hebrew, and he knows the one true God. And this Hebrew man uh, loves God, the one true God, and he can tell that. They're in relationship, right? Joseph is practicing God's presence. And when someone is with you, right? When you're practicing the presence of another person, okay? It's affecting 
your actions. It's affecting your attitudes. And this is what it means to practice the presence of the Lord, right? God's with me, right? Because I know God's with me, I'm walking with him, I'm partnering with him as the, the events of my life unfold, right? I'm walking with him, I'm seeking him. And then people who are watching me are watching me walk with God and wait on God while I'm in this season where I, I would rather not be, but I'm resolved to practice God's presence. And that is what Joseph's new master, Potiphar, sees. And as he sees it, as he sees God's hand on this young man, Joseph finds favor, becomes his right-hand dude, and then he goes, you know what? God's with you. God's on you. I sense it. I see you relating to him, and I see his presence in your life. So guess what? I trust you. I'm going to put everything in my household uh, under your care. Pretty cool, right? Now, Joseph's not where he wants to be. He's away from his home. He's been sold into slavery. He's not in a great situation. He would love for this chapter of his life to end, but what does he do while he's in this in-between time? He's practicing the presence of God. You know God uh, has you maybe in his, his waiting room, uh, and what are you going to do there? While he's working out the future, which you can't work out, he's working out your future, and what he's hoping is that you too would practice his presence, right? That you would be seeking him, that you would be walking with him, that you would be praying to him, that you would be trusting him with this time and wherever you are in your circumstances, uh, that other people would see you doing that very thing. That's Joseph, right? Talks about uh, God's presence and the promise of God's presence because this is really what we have to uh, internalize as men of God. We have to get God's presence from just a concept really in here so that we can begin practicing or putting faith in God's presence and completing our faith in God's presence in us with actions. Listen to Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. It says, don't panic. I'm with you. There's no need to fear for I'm your God. I'll give you strength. I'll help you. I'll hold you steady. Keep a firm grip on you. Wow, what a promise. Some of you need to write down Isaiah 41.10. You need to put it on a little three by five card. You need to write it on a little sticky and you need to get that into your spirit. God's with you. It doesn't matter whether you're riding the wave of success or you're in the pit, all right? God's with you. God's at work here. God's at work here. What's our job? Whether we're here or here, peak or pit, our job is to practice God's presence, all right? God's at work in all things, in all circumstances, in all phases of life. So we have to resolve as men because things will transition, things will get better, but in between, we got to practice God's presence. All right, let's roll the film. The second thing that we see Joseph do is he brought the blessing of God and one kind of flows from the other, right? If you're practicing God's presence and God's with you and on you, all right? You're going to be an agent of God's blessing for who's ever around you and whatever's going on, all right? Look at Genesis 39, verse 5. It says this, From time to time, 
from the time, no, wait, from the time he put him in charge of his household, okay, so we already established that, and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph, right? The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in the field. Do you get that picture, right? Joseph is practicing God's presence. As he's practicing God's presence, he's walking around with the power and presence of God in his life, and he's agenting blessing, the blessings of God. It's not about him. He's trusting God. God's using him, all right? During this time, God's not delivering him. God's using him during this time where he is a slave in Potiphar's house. And you see the Lord blessing in a couple of different ways. He blesses the household, all right? What's a household? That's a unit of people that are in the same space and life flow, right? So Joseph comes into a household. It's a space. It's a unit of people, all right, that are, that are occupying the same space and they're in the same life flow. They're interconnected. And God drops Joseph into that household because God wants to bless these people. How cool is that, right? But Joseph has to practice God's presence. Joseph has to wait well before his deliverance comes because he's not there yet. God wants to use him to bring blessing. Secondly, what I love is that it's the household of an Egyptian, all right? Not a Hebrew, an Egyptian, all right? And God loves Potiphar. God loves his family. God loves his other servants. God loves all the people that this influential person is affecting. And Potiphar is recognizing the one true God in Joseph, right? As an Egyptian. So Joseph is on mission, right? Third, it's because of Joseph that the blessing comes. How would you like that to be written about you, by the way? You know, that the Lord bless whole, blessed a bunch of people because of put your name in there, all right? You know, you're walking around as a man of God with the presence of God, and God wants to use you to bless people while you're trusting him for the things in your life with the people right in front of you. So let me ask you a question. Who is right in front of you, at work, in your home, in your neighborhood? Can I just tell you unequivocally that God wants to use you, wants to bring blessing through you to those people because he loves those people and you are his man. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 7 and 8, we see this emphasis on training. All right, and I want to read the verse and then unpack it because it relates to being an agent of blessing. It says this in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 9. It says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. All right, so... The Apostle Paul is talking to another man of God, just like I'm talking to you, man of God. And he's saying, you know what? We could put our energy over here, physical training, all right? And a lot of you are into that. Some of you do need to do a little bit more of that, all right? But he's, he's emphasizing something that's emphasized by men in that culture, physical training, right? Get strong. But he says physical training has some value, but listen to what he says. But training for godliness is much better. Do you know that? 
practicing God's presence and being a bringer of blessing, that's godliness. And then what does he say? He links, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits. Link those two. Training in godliness, promising benefits. Say it with me. Training in godliness, promising benefits. It means you're, if you're training in godliness, there's this pregnant blessing inside of you that, and benefits inside of you that are meant for you and meant for other people and meant for the friends of the people that are next to you. I mean, God has a plan to use you like a stick of dynamite. And the blast zone is of blessing. But you have to train, right? You have to resolve. You have to discipline yourself, right? To wait well, to seek God, to wait on God, to walk with God, to continue to obey God right in this season, right? So that's what Joseph does. He he blesses Potiphar and he continues to, to train in godliness, and the benefits of that are flowing in him and to him, from his master to him. That's a benefit. And then the benefit goes through him to other people, right? And when is that process supposed to start? Now. God wants to bless people now. Eternal life begins now. He wants his life to come to you and come inside of you, and then he wants his life to go through you right now. Now, Paul says in this life and in the life to come, all right? The Bible, and it's not in your notes, uh, says in 2 Timothy, it says in a large house, uh, there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, all right? Some for common use, uh, some made of silver and gold. And then, and then Paul says this, that you are a vessel for honor, be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. It's that picture of a contain of a, of a life, a vessel for honor, and you can hold blessing or you can hold trash, all right? Be a container of God, be a container of blessing, be a vessel for honor, sanctified, which means set apart, useful, okay? God wants to use you. You got to get that. God wants to use you right now. God wants to use you where you are, with your present situation, with the people in your present situation, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. God has works he's prepared in advance for you that he wants you to do right now. So number one, what did Joseph do when he was in this incubator, this waiting room, right? Waiting to uh, be delivered from slavery. He practiced God's presence and he brought the blessing of God. Number three, we see Joseph and he committed to God ahead of testing. Write that down. Joseph committed to God ahead of testing, all right? Now, what I wanna do is I wanna roll the film on what's happening within the house of Potiphar because while Joseph is bringing God's presence and God's blessing to the people he's with in this waiting period, while God is handling the future, all right, there's testing in the midst of it. So let's roll the film on what happens when Potiphar, his master, is away, right? Every dude can relate to this, all right? Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. 
Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by, the, by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house, right? So do you get the picture? She grabs his cloak. He runs out of his clothes naked into the streets. This is how resolved Joseph is. Now, let's just unpack this little scenario. Joseph is away from home. Joseph is away from accountability. Joseph is away from his community of faith. All right. His family sold him into slavery. God had seemingly forsaken him by allowing all of this to happen. Right? Why not take Potiphar's wife? Why not plot his death? Why not, you know, take his place? He could have done it with the wife, you know, right there. But deep in the bedrock of Joseph's spiritual fiber, there is this refusal to yield, right? And sometime before this test, he has what I call a no matter what moment uh, in his relationship with God, that no matter what his circumstances are, that he is not going to yield his commitment or his loyalty to anything, all right? And the key we learn from Joseph in this is we have to make decisions, not while we're in the moment of temptation, but the key is to defeating temptation in the moment is to make decisions before that moment. Can I ask you a question? What is your no matter what commitment to God? Have you made it now, right? Because while you wait, there's gonna be some testing, you know, especially when things are difficult, right? And even when things are successful, both are tests, right, of faith where you can just say, well, in my success, I made my own success, and now I'm just gonna live like I'm in control because I'm the author of my own success. And then you fall into sin, right? When you're in pain, it's sort of like, well, you know what? This is fatal, this is final, God's not at work, he's forsaken me, you know? Might as well just, you know, cash it in, dive in, do what feels good, right? See the battle, right? Joseph, somewhere in his soul, in his life, before this all started, he just said to himself, you know what? Regardless of my circumstances, I am not going to sin against my God. That was the fluorescent line that he decided, you know what? I'm not going to cross that one because having done men's ministry for 30 plus years, very few men would have been able to survive that kind of onslaught without having made a commitment in advance of the testing, all right? Question, what is your no matter what? 
commitment. And you know what? We can make one together right now. We can just say right now, as I'm talking to you, God's here, God's with us. And we can just say, God, you know what? No matter what my circumstances are, I'm not gonna use my circumstances as a license to sin against you. Why? Because you are with me in all things and in all circumstances. So I'm gonna be joyful no matter what my circumstances are. I'm not gonna stop praying. I'm gonna give thanks. This is your will. That's my commitment. Can you make that commitment right now? To just say, God, I'm putting a, I'm, I'm, I'm putting a flag in the ground. I am not gonna give up that territory inside of my life to sin. I'm not gonna make no quarter, no matter what happens. I'm not going there, all right? Decide now, because the testing's coming. And in the moment, don't think you're gonna be strong when that moment of testing comes, all right? Commit to God ahead of time. You know, this is a repeated theme of preemptive commitment so that we can stand in the test. In Psalm 119, verses 10 and 11, the psalmist gets this whole idea of committing to God ahead of time. He says this, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Did you see that? He hasn't sinned yet, but he's committing to God ahead of time, right? So if you don't want to stray, do what the psalmist does. Hide and seek, <laughs> right? No matter what, you are going to hide God's word in your heart and you're going to seek the Lord and that helps us, right, to commit in advance. That's, that's what men of God do, all right? We don't want to sin, all right? So preemptively, we make a commitment and then we hide God's word in our heart and we seek the Lord. And when we get into that moment of testing, that's what's going to come out. Our relationship with God is not going to let us in that moment turn our backs on him, all right? And some of you right now, I know I'm talking directly to you. You are on the precipice because of your feelings, all right? You've been getting messages. Maybe it's not a woman. Maybe it's another thing. Maybe it is a woman. I don't know. But you've been getting pounded and it's testing the bedrock of your commitment, right? You need to seek the Lord and you need to hide God's word in your heart and you need to commit now before the next little set of chatter comes into your brain that you are gonna refuse to yield. Say that with me, refuse to, re to yield. That's what a man of God does. He refuses to yield. Why? Because deep in his heart, he's committing to God ahead of testing. All right? Now, this story gets even more interesting, right? So Joseph is practicing God's presence. Joseph is bringing the blessing of God. Joseph's getting tested during this waiting period before the next chapter of his life unfolds, all right? And then here's another aspect of what Joseph does while he's waiting for that next chapter to unfold. Write this down. He seized God moments, right? God's supplying these moments, not just moments of testing, but moments of ministering, all right? And so he does it a number of times. Let's look at a couple of them and unpack it, all right? In Genesis uh, chapter uh, 40, we, we see this, all right? So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, 
Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams, right? Let me give you a little context. So remember the cloak moment? Runs out naked? Well, Potiphar's wife has to explain why Joseph is gone. And she said, he tried to rape me. Potiphar gets upset, throws him in the dungeon, right? So now Joseph has gone from having a dream to getting sold into slavery to kind of rising in his captivity time to the top. Now he's down at the bottom again. Man, you talk about a roller coaster of life, right? But now, not being in Potiphar's house and in a dungeon, he's with a couple of uh, Pharaoh's other officials who, for some reason, have displeased Pharaoh. So they're all kind of cellmates, all right? And two of them have dreams, right? A cupbearer and a cook, right? And Joseph, just being a normal person, um, notices sort of their body language, their, their affect, their countenance. And uh, because he is practicing God's presence, because he's an agent of God's blessing, because he's loyal and committed to God, and he knows that God has the next chapter of his life firmly in his hands, Joseph is available to get out of his own head, and he notices other people. So he notices the cupbearer and the chef, and they're sad, and he just seizes this moment. And he seizes it to bless and minister to them. So they're sad. They have dreams. They don't know how to interpret them. Joseph's like, I know how to do that. I'm, I'm the dreamer boy. I, I've had a significant dream from God. God's gifted me with the gift of interpreting dreams. And uh, he, he tells them, he declares truth. Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your, your dreams because I'm the man of God. All right, so they tell him. Uh, unfortunately, uh, one dream was going to turn out good for the cupbearer. The other dream, not so great uh, for uh, the chef. But Joseph seizes this moment for the sake of men. Now, while he's in prison, now fast forward two years, all right? Pharaoh's having dreams, all right? And his guys can interpret them. And the cupbearer, in a fulfillment of his dream, Joseph says, you're going to go back to work in the palace. The cupbearer has left the dungeon, went back to work in the palace. Pharaoh's having dreams he can't interpret. And the cupbearer's like, I got a guy. All right. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph two years later. Right. And we roll the film in Genesis chapter 41, verses 15 and 16. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Listen to Joseph's response. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So here's another God moment that Joseph has put in front of him and he speaks truth to Pharaoh, all right? And he points to God. He's like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not the source, but I know someone who is. I'm connected to him. I'm practicing his presence. I'm committed to bringing his blessing. I'm loyal. I'm committed to him. I've been waiting. I've been in this, waiting for this next chapter of my life to unfold. And he's got me. And now I'm with you. And God's calling me to help you. Wow. That's called seizing a God moment. And it's because David isn't self, I mean, Joseph is not self-absorbed. Joseph's not 
full of self-absorption because when we're self-absorbed, we can only see what's in front of us and ourselves. But because he's connected to God, he's seeing other people. Can I just say something to you? If, if you are a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Jesus, the Apostle Paul, if you follow the one true God, Jesus Christ, right, you can afford to get out of your own head because he's got you. And because he's got you, he can use you right, right now while you're waiting for your next chapter of your life to unfold. So Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream. Uh, it's about seven cows uh, that are skinny, seven cows that are fat. The seven skinny cows eat the seven fat cows and seven heads of grain and seven sheaves in which the grain is put in and the seven sheaves eat the heads of grain, okay? So Joseph uh, interprets the dream and says, hey, look, right now you got a time of abundance. That's the fat cows and that's the grain, but you're gonna, that, that time's gonna get swallowed up. That's the lean cows eating the fat cows. That's the sheaves, the wheat sheaves eating the grains of wheat, all right? That time's gonna end and he interprets the dream, all right? He seizes his God moment, all right? Now, in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is this encouragement, both by narrative and by example and by command, that, that you are in a relationship with God for the purpose of agenting God's blessing and serving other people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 5 through 7, it reiterates kind of what we see going on with Joseph. And this is, this is what we have to resolve to do uh, when we're waiting for the next chapter of our life to unfold. The Bible says this, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. All right, say this with me, at work. Okay, the verse, uh, goes on. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So do you see the connection about a man of God has the spirit of God, and then there's manifestations of the spirit of God that are deposited in you, and they're deposited in you for the common good, right? So that when you have a God moment, when you as a man who is waiting on God well, connected to God, wanting God's will, readying yourself to experience it, seeking him, walking with him, obeying him. When a need comes up, right, you seize that moment and the deposit of God in you through his spirit, that gifting comes out, right, to serve the common good. Joseph is serving a cupbearer in a dungeon. Joseph is serving a cook who's his cellmate. Joseph is serving the most powerful man on the planet, right? He's in the dungeon and he's in the palace. And wherever he is, he's aware that God is at work and there's works for him to do. And I know that's speaking to some of you right now. Maybe you've been resisting a prompting of God to step into a situation, step into a life. But can I just tell you, if someone is connected to your life in a meaningful way and there is a need that, or a gap or a hole that you can meet or that you can bridge or that you can fill, 
you are the man of that moment. Say yes. God has deposited what is needed for that moment. Say yes in faith and step into it and watch God use you. Right Now let's go to the last thing that Joseph does that just is such a good sign that he's, he's resolved to wait well uh, on God for his next chapter of life to unfold. And here, here's the theme. He faithfully uses his gift. Now, it's connected to that Pharaoh moment in the palace. Remember, he went from the dungeon to the palace, gets called up. Hey, man, I'll help you out. God's going to use me. I'm going to tell you what your dream means, all right? Uh, he interprets the dream, and he could have decided, all right, ball's in your court. Now you know what's going to happen in the future. Ball's in your court. Good luck with that. See you later, all right? But God's spirit was accessing Joseph's gift in that moment, and Joseph now begins to see exactly not just what's going to happen, but what Pharaoh's supposed to do. And he, again, has every reason not to help, right? Culturally, socially, emotionally, experientially. Man, I've been in prison this whole time. Why am I helping you? Um, But um, God says, help him. God begins to give him even more past the interpretation of the, the dream. Joseph, as we've seen in the story, he has an amazing gift of organization and administration. Potiphar's house, he organizes, he administrates. He gets put into the dungeon. The warden of the the dungeon, we didn't talk about this, but the warden of a dungeon, same thing, puts him in charge of all the prisoners, right? So Joseph has this amazing gift of not just seeing in the spirit what's going to happen, but he also knows how to work his way toward it in a good way. So God says, hey, the interpretation, not enough, all right? Help this guy, and Joseph was faithful to use his gifts. He didn't phone it in. He didn't, he didn't walk away, right? And we pick up the story in Genesis 41, verses 33 to 37. Um, so Joseph interprets it, and then there's this connective phrase, and I love it, and he goes, and now right? Starts the verse, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Boom. All right. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. Okay. Do you see Dave? Uh, I keep saying David. You keep saying Joseph, right? Being faithful with his gift. I interpreted it. Done. God says, nope. You have the gift of administration and organization and me. You're going to logistically, tactically tell Pharaoh and all his C-level guys, all his chief executives, exactly what to do, all right, to the detail that they're supposed to 
during the years of abundance prior to the year of famine, get a fifth of everything stored away, stored away, stored away every year so that when the lean times come, Egypt has food. All right. Now, it's interesting, and it's not on the screen, but uh, in verse 38, right after this moment, and Joseph drops the mic in the power of the Holy Spirit, and all these people around Pharaoh are like, So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? How powerful is that? So Pharaoh asked everybody, he turns to everybody, where can we find a guy like this guy? One in whom is the spirit of God. So Joseph probably thinks, you know what, they're going to take my idea and run with it. And, but here, because he's faithful with his gifts, listen, because he's faithful with his gift in that moment, because he doesn't phone it in, right? That triggers the next chapter of his life unfolding. And he goes from dream, right? Having a dream as a little boy to a dungeon and lots of evil happening to him, waiting well and practicing God's presence, bringing God's blessing, committing to God ahead of the test, seizing moments and being faithful to God while he's waiting. And guess what happens? That's the trigger where he goes from the prison to the palace. Wow. Man, what a season. This is a 13-year waiting well time for Joseph. And when it comes to fulfilling a need, the Bible is very clear that had, had Joseph not done it the way he did, um, you know, God would have not been pleased. In the book of James, chapter 2, it talks about where we are in the presence of need and sympathy is not a substitute for action and following through. It says this, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, right? There's the food issue. If one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? right? You didn't really help that person. And I just wonder out there among the thousands of guys who are watching this live stream, where there is a, a hole to fill, a gap to bridge, and a need to meet, where the next chapter of your life can unfold, but God is waiting for you to be fully faithful, to step into some need someone else has. You see, guys, that's what the world wants. That's what the world needs right now. We don't need any movement or cultural movement or political philosophy uh, to tell us what to do. Our identity tells us what to do. And a lot of us are in transition from a low, and we're waiting for the high, and some are going to go from the high to the low. That's life. But we are wanting to experience the will of God while we wait, for the next chapter of life to unfold. And we need to seize God's moments, God moments, and we need to be faithful. And like Joseph, I believe right now, right now, there are a lot of guys listening to my voice and there is, it's almost like a trigger. There's this little action of faith that's gonna 
require you to go beyond what's necessary. Sacrifice. Go fully into someone's need. And I believe that that is going to unlock the next chapter of life that you are waiting to have in God. You're readying yourself to experience God's abundance. And so we're going to go to prayer right now. And I know that I've been speaking to many of you. Many of you need to start practicing God's presence right now where you are, regardless of where you are in your circumstances. Many of you need to see yourself as bringers of blessing, your ambassadors, your agents of blessing. Many of you right now, not in the test, not in the temptation, you need to make a no matter what decision with me as we go to prayer, that no matter what, you're going to stay loyal to God. And many of you, God has a moment with people and it's lying dormant underneath the floorboards of your life right now. And you're going to start trusting God, getting out of your own head and seeing this kingdom opportunity right around you. And you're going to step in. And then there's others of you where you need to sacrifice and go all the way and be faithful with your gifts. Because on the other side of being faithful, fully faithful with your gifts and bridging that gap, meeting that need, plugging that hole in someone's life, is the next chapter of God's presence and blessing. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the man of God, Joseph. He wasn't perfect. He made people envious. Sometimes he was loose with his mouth. But boy, did, did he know you. And he repented. And while he was in that waiting period, Lord, he practiced your presence. He knew that you were with him. Thank you for your word to us to practice your presence. You want us to do that. You're with us. We don't need to panic. You're in charge of the future. And because that's true, we can worship you. We can seek you. We can obey you. We can serve others. God, thank you that um, you want to use us. Lord, right now, there's men listening to the sound of my voice right now. And you want to say to every man listening to the sound of my voice, bring my blessing. That's your word to them. Bring my blessing. Bring my blessing. God, you want men listening to me to take that with them after this session is over. And it's going to be in their minds and it's going to be in their hearts. Bring my blessing. They're going to see people and they're going to bring your blessing. They're going to see wives and children and you're going to bring, they're going to bring your blessing. Lord, whatever form that blessing takes, Lord, they're going to see a man who's in relationship with you. And because of that, and because of them, blessing will fall on families, neighbors, coworkers, communities, churches, and cities, Lord. You're going to bring blessing through men. God, today I covenant with my brothers that ahead of my testing and ahead of temptation, today, no matter what, this community of men is going to stay loyal to you. Lord, that's the fluorescent line we're not going to cross. When someone suggests that we enter into sin, we refuse and we run if we have to, embarrassing ourselves if we have to, just like Joseph, because we love you. And Lord, lastly, there are moments 
pregnant right around every man listening to the sound of my voice. There's God moments waiting to happen where just being normal and sensing the room and sensing people and, and sensing the Holy Spirit connecting us with people and needs, Lord, help us today in faith to seize our personal God moments, to unlock the kingdom of God, to be used in powerful ways. Lord, you've given us different kinds of service, but you're the same God, the God of Joseph, the God of Kenny Luck, the God of every man listening right now. Same God, different kinds of service. And thank you for the manifestation of the spirit that you've given to each of us, these gifts for the common good. And Lord, help us to sacrifice when we use our gifts and not just use them in a halfway manner, Lord, but to go all the way, to sacrificially use our gifts, to meet the needs of people fully versus partially. And in doing that, God, we're just going to declare the unlocking of new chapters unfolding. But help us to be faithful. Help us to resolve, Lord, to wait well in your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's men said, amen. Thanks for joining us. Tell a friend about us. And we'll see you next week. Amen. If you call every man your home for getting in, getting healthy, getting strong, and getting going, then we have a special ask for you. We need men like you to stand in the gap with us as we take back territory for God's kingdom with our new giving campaign. We're calling it the 12 for 12 giving campaign. And all it takes is $12 a month for 12 months. Now your commitment and donation will help us reach our 20 city goal with our Dangerous Good Conference in 2021. And we can't do this without your support. Now, if you haven't noticed, every man is on the move and we've been able to build an army of strong men that are choosing Jesus over the world. You know why? That's because of people like you that help our ministry thrive, especially in these difficult times. So will you join us and commit to donating $12 for 12 months? Every dollar equals change, not only in the men, but also change for the women, children, and communities connected to these men. Thank you in advance for your support and God bless.